This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. You know, it ain't over on, on November 3rd, as far as the Russians are concerned. Former Director of National Intelligence, James Clapper. Because they will keep looking for opportunities to exploit the situation uh, on Election Day and, and post-Election Day. He's been studying the Russian intelligence service for more than 50 years, and he's got a gut feeling about Russia's attempts to derail the 2020 presidential election. Maybe I'm wrong. I, I hope I am. But I don't think that we've seen the Russians expose their full hand yet. Coming up on this edition of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile. Capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. It's November 4th, 2020. All of the votes in the 2020 presidential election have been cast. They're still in the process of counting them. The Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency came out with a statement late today saying, They have been watching very carefully and they have seen no evidence that foreign actors have been able to change votes or impact the counting of votes. But that doesn't mean that foreign actors still can't impact this election. Several days before the election, we had a conversation with former Director of National Intelligence Jim Clapper, which is why you'll hear some references that sound dated when it comes to the election and what could happen on Election Day. But it's important enough for us to play it in context so you can understand his concern that Russia may not be done meddling just yet. Director Clapper, the first thing I'd like to ask you is related to 2016. Um We know that there was a heck of a lot of foreign influence uh, and you leading the 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 office of the director of national intelligence announced it in January, early 2017 to the public. We know that there were a lot of different uh, buttons they were pushing, but race was one of them. And it was later that we figured out to what degree they were using race to divide the country. Seems like they're doing it again. So can you tell us how Russia exploited race in 2016 and what your thoughts are about right now? Well, it's uh, first of all, we actually announced it in October uh, of uh, October 7th of 16. I say we as uh, Secretary of Homeland Security, Jay Johnson and I, um, after a lot of interagency deliberation, issued a statement, a public release about the Russian interference. Um, Unfortunately, it was emasculated by the Access Hollywood tape, audio tapes, which came out exactly the same day. So just to make that point, what they did in 16, the Russians, of course, was um, very aggressive exploitation of social media. And uh, I think 
in the Mueller volume one, uh, the quote, the statistic of where the Russians reached on Facebook alone, some 132 million Americans. And they had, they had messages for everybody in under the general rubric of, uh, of exploiting and amplifying the polarization and divisiveness in this country. So one group they focused on was uh, Black Lives Matter. And also, of course, white supremacists. So they did, they, they had messages for all the various tribes, if you will, uh, in this country. And one of the things they did thematically, specifically with respect to minorities, blacks notably, was to discourage voting, to attempt to depress the vote. Uh, because uh, I, th- I guess the Russian rationale was that this would serve to benefit um, then-candidate Trump and hurt then-candidate Clinton, and it probably did. Uh, but as, and I suspect they're doing, I don't have, you know, inside baseball firsthand insight here, but I, I, the Russians are creatures of habit and they will profit from uh, their experience in 16 and I'm sure have done so with respect to this election. You mentioned in an earlier conversation that you believe they learned a lot from Mueller Volume 1. And I'm wondering if you believe they're actually deploying that knowledge now, especially as well, late. Again, I, d- I don't know, but I, su- I suspect that based on their, you know, behavior going back to the Soviet era, that they will have uh, figured out to the extent that they can how the revelations in Volume 1 of Mueller came about. What is it they did in their operation security or OPSEC, as it's called, uh, that uh, enabled the U.S. to detect what they were doing? And so what, I, what worries me about the election 2020 is what we're not seeing, what we're not hearing about that the Russians may be doing, because they, by profiting from critiquing what they did in 16 and profiting from the lesson learned, apply that to enable them to cover their tracks. So that's that's a concern I have about this, this election. A number of people, including yourself, have told us, the general population in the U.S., that Russia is trying to interfere in the election using the narratives that we've been discussing today, polarization, um, amplifying divisions, but they've also pushed out a lot of disinformation. Specifically, the narrative regarding who interfered in the 2016 election. They've pushed out a narrative saying it was Ukraine. Uh, Officials have said, and your office said while you were there very clearly, Russia did it. It was not Ukraine. And I'm saying there have been numerous situations where members of Congress, senators, uh, and others have continued to push that narrative that suggests um, that Ukraine interfered, but the bottom line is continuing to push disinformation from Russia knowingly. And my question is, why do you think they're doing that? I don't, you know, I don't have a good answer for that, um, JJ. Uh, it's why do so many people buy into these uh, factless, uh, data-free conspiracies? 
Why do people buy into QAnon, for example? I, I don't know. I don't, under, I don't understand that phenomenon. And th this is part of the trend that uh, is uh, very clever and aptly uh, characterized by Rand Corporation, truth decay. And so I, I don't understand that, why people buy into these conspiracies, this misinformation, which, of course, plays exactly to what the Russians are seeking. And in this specific example of Ukraine, well, unfortunately, Ukraine is because of the historical close relationship with Mother Russia is deeply penetrated. And the, and the Russians have assets and contacts they can use to spread disinformation. And because people choose to, they like to they buy into these uh, uh, these phony uh, phony narratives. And why that's so, I I don't know, unless it, it supports uh, the, the various reality bubbles that people exist in these days. Well, let's talk about something that you do know about, and that is the harm that can come to the U.S. and American citizens by and through people promoting these false narratives, by promoting Russian disinformation. Well, it, it serves to... Um, promote controversy, uh, discord, doubt, distrust, uh, disbelief in our whole system. And that, that is exactly what the Russians are trying to do, is undermine our democracy. And, and this starts with a, a strong personal animus that Putin himself has for the United States and everything we stand for. I mean, he characterized the, the demise of the Soviet Union as the greatest geopolitical disaster of the 20th century. And he holds the United States uh, responsible for that. So but by way of compensating for Russia's other profound weaknesses, notably its economy and its uh, shrinking demographics and, and all and the, the profound infrastructure challenges they have in, in, in Russia. So uh, in Putin's mind, I think he's sees this as kind of a zero-sum game kind of thing. And so to the extent that he promotes weakness uh, in, in this country and promoting the divisiveness uh, and amplifying it, that serves to strengthen Russia uh, in his mind and, and to help compensate for uh, its other weaknesses. Regardless of who wins... Um, there's going to Russia's going to be still here. W what do you think their objective is? Um, it, I've been told on a couple of occasions they're not really interested in President Trump winning or Vice President Joe Biden as the Democratic candidate winning. What they're interested in is just being able to um, manipulate or rather being able to impact the ability of the elected president to govern or to, to do his or her work. What, is your, what are your thoughts? Yeah, on that? Uh, I mean, I think they will. Um, I think they're, I, you know, I don't know for sure, but I surmise that they really haven't changed much in terms of their preference. They would just as soon uh, have, they, the Russians, uh, have uh, President Trump win a second term. I mean, I think that actually from their vantage, serves their interests. I mean, the president has never, in his almost four years in office, has never criticized 
uh, Putin uh, or the Russians really uh, is, has not dimed him out. So that obviously that that I think that that serves their interest. But I think the answer to your question is yes. That I think they're more interested in just undermining us, undermining our system, undermining uh, the faith, trust, and confidence that. Uh, that people have in, in, in the United States and the ideas it represents and, and uh, our, our democracy. And, uh, and to prove that uh, the Russian system, the autocratic system in Russia is better than, than what we have. And that, I think that is really the essence of what they're trying to do in 2020. 2016, I think they're much more focused on defeating uh, Hillary Clinton and on having uh, President Trump win the election. And, and I, my sense is that they're not as intensely focused on that as they were in 16. And, and rather, they are more interested in undermining us in general. Uh, Director Clapper, as we as a nation move forward um, from election day, which could turn out to be election week or election month, as some people are saying, uh, who knows how that will turn out. But as we move forward, um, what are the most important things for us as a nation when it comes to national security and intelligence um, lessons learned from what you have seen this election cycle to remember and to use moving forward? Well, for individual citizens, one hopes that everyone will be patient because it's quite likely, uh, given uh, what I, I, I'm surmising will be a record turnout, either in person or uh, absentee or by whatever means that people are voting. And so it's going to be a huge turnout. And it may not be possible to get all the votes counted uh, by you know, the night of, of November 3rd. And there's no legal requirement that, that's, that states that. It's, it's, you know, everybody likes instant gratification, but that may not happen. What worries me is what I think the, the president has already said that the only way he can lose the election is, is if it's rigged. And uh, I think he has a, a lot of proponents that, uh, that, believe, that uh, subscribe to that. And so what that could lead to is a, an extended period of, of uh, litigation, of, of, of uh, court suits, lawsuits, uh, and the like, which could prolong uh, an, an official determination about who the winner was. And that, I think, makes for a, a, a really vulnerable uh, interval for us, both domestically and from the standpoint of national security. Domestically, I think that will, the longer that drags on, the more unrest that could uh, generate. And certainly from a national security standpoint, uh, if there's a, a good time for, for mischief, that's it. Uh, by the likes of, let's say, North Korea or Iran, just to name two examples. This is the scenario that concerns me, and, and it, uh, uh, it would be a very vulnerable time for us, both for both internationally and nationally. What um, What are the most important elements that you've learned uh, from this election cycle in terms of uh, foreign interference, 
Um, are there things that surprised you? Are there things that um, you said, huh, uh, what are the most important things that you've learned? Well, the one thing, uh, uh, I, I guess uh, the question implies, if you're talking about this election cycle, 2020 as opposed to 16. So we haven't seen evidence of um, a dumping, a hacking and dumping emails that, that, that at least so far, uh, that it, you know, that hasn't occurred, at least it's visible in the public domain. So that's uh, different. What worries me, though, is what, you know, we, what we don't know. Well, what, what are the Russians up to? What, what might they do on Election Day? What might they do to exploit um, the uncertainty about the outcome of the election? So, you know, it ain't over. On, on November 3rd, as far as the Russians are concerned, because they will keep looking for opportunities to exploit the situation, I, I think, uh, on Election Day and, and post-Election Day. Now, I'm, maybe I'm wrong. I, I hope I am. But I don't think that we've seen the Russians expose their full hand yet. So that's the primary thing that, you know, I've, I guess what I've learned or I guess what I'm, I'm, what I'm concerned about. The full hand. Um, any thoughts on what you think might be in that hand? I know you just said you don't know what you don't know, but uh, have there been any breadcrumbs that have led you in one direction, thinking or another? Well, not not that's visible to me. I mean, I I don't. All I know is what everyone else has access to in the media. So I, I I'm just surmising here what they might do. I I don't have any. Um, you know, revelations uh, uh, or some inside baseball information that lead me to believe that just, you know, having, yeah, I been, you know, been pitted against the Russians and the Soviets for a long time. Uh, I, I don't think it's all over for them on November 3rd. Yeah. And it wasn't, it wasn't in 16 either because they had already uh, anticipating uh, a Clinton win they were already had plans afoot to undermine a Clinton administration, which, of course, they had to sort of put the brakes on. So uh, it, who knows what they have up their sleeve now? I, I, I don't know. But I, I think they will certainly, if we have a, a period of doubt about the outcome of the election, the Russians will undoubtedly exploit that. Okay. Um, I would ask you this question. I'd like to. Um, what is it? that the national security community and the intelligence community can do better uh, moving forward than we're doing right now, because there has been quite a bit of confusion, um, mixed messages coming from some of the different agencies in the intelligence community. Um, you know, there's the DNI, there's the FBI, there, there's CIA, there are questions about whether some of those people are going to be fired, regardless of whether the president wins or whether he loses. Um, what is it that the national security intelligence community can do better to, to I guess, uh, fortify itself? Well, uh, you know, the, <laughs> that's a good question. And um, what can the intelligence community do institutionally? Uh, that's, you know, that's a very much a function of, of leadership. And, you know, what sort of a direction uh, the intelligence community is getting, what it can and cannot uh, report. Um, so when you see 
the refusal on the part of the DNI to, to give uh, uh, updates, briefing updates to members of Congress. Well, that's not good. Uh, I think the members of Congress uh, need to be informed about uh, potential uh, threats to our system. And there hasn't exactly been a consistent voice, as you point out. Um, and we don't have routine, systematic uh, reporting. Uh, there's been this tendency to sort of equate what the Russians are doing to what the Iranians are doing to what the Chinese are doing, or even characterizing the Chinese as the greater, greater threat, which I, I don't believe they are. The Chinese are interfering, but and they're, they're sowing, uh, spreading misinformation. But I think in their case, their motivation has more to do with burnishing their own image and detracting attention away from their response to the pandemic, what they did in Hong Kong, uh, this uh, ominous uh, moves towards Taiwan. It's this kind of thing where not so much to undermine our fundamental system, which is what the Russians are up to. So I think it's, uh, I think the, the community has not done a good job of distinguishing uh, both the weight and the intent of each of these foreign players and, and what they're trying to do. What would help is if there were a congressional mandate on the laying on the responsibility on the intelligence community for, for periodic systematic reporting, both to the Congress and to the public, and try, you know, try to take the politics out of it, which is kind of the way it is now. You know, um, there are so many things that um, you have taught me personally and us over the years. I recall interviewing you during your time as uh, director of national intelligence. And one of the lines that you would always start with were, was during my 50 plus years in intelligence. Uh, and one of the things you said to me uh, was that uh, you remember the halcyon days when uh, essentially you knew where the threats were. You could see the threats. Uh, but now you it's sometimes, you know, they're just because of social media. They're just not so visible or so obvious. And one of the things that I have thought about routinely as time has passed is the way in which people, many of whom I over time have revered as national security figures and uh, people who are other intelligence and educational figures and cultural figures and politicians have been caught in this social media process where there is just all sorts of mudslinging, just profane, disgusting um conversation, dialogue between people who in the past had been revered. Um, and this appears to me to be another part of that whole disintegration of our society, which is something that um, Russia and others want. So the question is simple. Is social media going to be the death of us? Well, social media and, you know, which... Uh, that all this uh, technology, uh, the ability to, to to communicate, all is an outgrowth of, of the advent of the internet, and the internet is like all other technology. It ha it's a two-edged sword. It can be a very positive thing. In fact, that's you know the the f founding fathers and mothers of the internet 
going way back when, uh, saw it as a, a tremendous boon, potentially a tremendous boon for globalization, for pe the ability to pe people to share information, to communicate. They never thought about, uh, well, first the security implications. And of course, I, I'm sure didn't contemplate at the time the growth of, of, of social media, which plays to you know some basic human instincts for wanting to communicate, be connected, etc. Well, it's also, of course, as we've seen, provides great potential for abuse, and uh, so it's no different than than any other technology. So the internet's been a blessing in, in a way, you know, it's. It's integral to our our day our day to day lives, but there's also, of course, the opportunity for abuse, and people have taken advantage of that. So you know whether it's you know going to be the death of us or not. I, I don't know that I'd be you know be that dramatic. <clears throat> it's something though we do have to we have to control. We have to figure out a way to regulate. All right. Is there anything that you think is important that we should discuss before we go? Well, at this point, um, you know, a few days before the election, uh, you know, people, I think, need to proceed. And I think they are. They behave as though they have faith in this system and that their vote will be counted. Um, and I think the turnout is a manifestation of that. Uh, you know, regardless of the of the outcome. And I think people um, need to be patient be, be, because of that, of this huge turnout. If we didn't have very many people voting, this, this wouldn't be an issue, So, which would not be a good thing. So I think voting is a, uh, I'll call it a sacred manifestation of our, our system. And if there's room for optimism, room for hope, it, it, it lies in, at least in my mind, in the tremendous turnout, which is a reflection of, you know, the interest and that uh, people do appreciate uh, our democracy. Well, Director Clapper, it's a pleasure. It always is, always has been and always will be. So thank you again for taking time to share with us. Thanks, JJ, for having me. Always a pleasure to be on with you. That's it for this edition of Target USA. Coming up on our next episode, we don't know yet who will be inaugurated in January of 2021 to serve the next four years as president. Regardless of who it is, between now and then, the U.S. national security community is very vulnerable. We'll talk about that in our next program. In the meantime, if you have questions or comments about the program, send me an email at jgreen at WTOP.com. That's the letter J, the color green, one word, at WhiskeyTangoOscarPapa.com. Green at WTOP.com. Also, please subscribe and follow us on Twitter at TUSA Podcast. That's Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast. Also, if you want more national security information, sign up for the newsletter Inside the Skiff. It's an in-depth look at all the national and international security news that I'm covering. And, of course, you can sign up for it at WTOP.com slash alerts. 
I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Welcome to the MIP. Yeah! <laughs> Michael Podcast. You knew this was coming. Guess who? Let me start this thing off. Join me every week for the Michael Irvin Podcast. We'll give you the full MIP experience. I'm talking everything from football to fashion. I will be chopping it up with playmakers, headline makers, and I am throwing haymakers. I'm the MVP of the MIP. Don't miss it. Download new episodes of the MIP, the Michael Irvin Podcast, every Thursday on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, and Spotify. Now, stay tuned for the latest headlines from the Associated Press.